The Buckeyes open their season Thursday night at 8 o'clock Eastern on the road at Minnesota. That's the topic of tonight's 11 Dubcast. I'm co-host Andy Vance along with Kevin Harish. And later this hour, we'll be joined by Beat King Dan Hope to preview what to expect when the foot hits the ball in Minnesota's TCF Bank Stadium this Thursday. Kevin, I, I don't know about you. Playing football, especially the season opener on a Thursday night, Still feels a little weird to me, but man, oh man, I am licking my chops to actually have some college football. Well, college football that wasn't uh, Nebraska versus Illinois. I, I, I guess that was college football, or at least we were led to believe. Let, let me, let's maybe start with that little uh, sidebar. Did you watch the Big Ten opener last weekend? Unfortunately, I, I did tune in a little bit. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was um, it, it was a little bit of everything. I, I you know, you had a you had the rock fight of all rock fights at the beginning, and then it turned into a um, got kind of crazy there for in the second half. But yeah, I, I think uh, that was honestly a pretty sad way to start college football. But um, I guess when you really think about it, like what percentage of college football games are actually good? You know, <laughs> that's, that's kind of why we love the sport. You know, it's yeah. you just you're here for the ugliness. So it, it was, it was actually a perfect introduction. I think one of the things that amused me about it is it's just sort of a reminder of, of how silly our favorite sport can be at times. You and I get uh, all the various press releases, of course, from the big 10 conference and, and the various schools they're in, but getting the players of the week news release from the big 10 after that game just sort of cracked me up. It's like, okay, this was the only game going guys. Did we really need to, uh, right. did we really need to run it out? Like it was a normal regular season game, you know, re regular season weekend. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't know what they were even thinking, but whatever. <laughs> so give those guys so some I, awards. I have to ask you a really important question on this topic before we shift to the, the actual topic of, of this episode of the Dubcast. Uh, are, are you one of the many of us on staff who have been blocked by one, one Bertram Bielema, uh, head coach oh, yeah. of, of, okay. All right. I, I want to make yeah. sure I knew it wasn't just me, but I was hoping it wasn't that I wasn't the only one on this podcast who'd been, yeah, I don't on even, Twitter by I don't Bert. even remember what it was that I said. I I'd probably deserved it, but I don't think it was egregious. I don't think I said anything untrue. It was probably like you're bad at coaching football or something. I, I had to go back to see what I had done because I was genuinely shocked when I realized that somebody was making some comment about something Bert had said on Twitter after he was, you know, named coach of Illinois. And I'm like, why can't I, why am I not seeing this? Oh, oh, I've been blocked by this large hunk of, 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 of former Hawkeye badger flesh. What, what on earth? And, and I had to go back and look and, and this has been, I mean, literally years ago, uh, when, when, uh, he was first announced, I think as coach of Arkansas and your friend and mine, one, one, uh, DJ Burns had, uh, gotten into a Twitter feud with the coach. And I replied to something DJ said, not, not <laughs> to coach Bielema, but, but apparently coach, uh, name searches himself enough that he found my comment <laughs> and blocked me. And yeah. it's like, wow, I, you forget that sometimes these multimillionaire head football coaches can be real thin skinned SOBs, you know? <laughs> Yeah, you, yeah, I don't know. I, it, it seems that um, that uh, they uh, should not. It, like you would think that they would be a little hardened to that if they like one like had to play football. Presumably, I, I don't. I don't know Brett's illustrious uh, football career, but like you'd think that would toughen them up. Like having to hear it from coaches, you'd think that like dealing with the media would toughen them up. Like 
I don't, I don't know, man. I, I but I did, I did find the, um, the tweet that got me. Um, I think it, it was, hello, my name is Kevin. And I think you're bad at coaching. Football. <laughs> that was the one. That's perfect. I love that. You you print that out and hang it in the good takes hall of fame. Cause that's, yeah. uh, that, that, that is accurate. Uh, so, you know, asking, you were asking the question, of course, uh, the astute observer will know that coach Bieloma was a defensive lineman at the university of Iowa under the legendary coach Hayden Fry oh, yeah. from 1989 yeah. to 1992 and was actually team captain his senior season. Uh, so there you go. Um, I like this. Now, this is one of those things. Um, this is one of those things that, you know, you have to give, um, the disclaimer that this is according to Wikipedia, but according to Wikipedia after, uh, Iowa beat Iowa state 21 to seven in his senior season, Bielema allegedly approached Iowa state coach head coach, Jim Walden for a post game handshake and said, you're a big prick. It's been a pleasure kicking your ass the past five years. <laughs> and and do you even makes, doubt that? I, not for a minute, which is the only reason I shared it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, for, for a guy that trash talks like that, you know, as a senior captain to go to an opposing state school coach and call him a big prick. And, and then to be out there blocking a bunch of people on Twitter, I mean, just cracks me up to no end. I really genuinely did not intend to spend this much time talking about uh, Bert this this episode of the podcast. But I did want to ask uh, ask this question because I think it's relevant. Uh, one, is Bielema going to be any good at Illinois? And two, how many games is it this season before Scott Frost is fired as the head coach in Nebraska? Um, no, he's not going to be a good coach. Uh, and I honestly, I don't, I don't know. I, I you'd think that I, I I don't know what Nebraska does. Like, who else is Nebraska going to hire? Like, I I I don't know. Like, do you you'd think that he should be out of there already? Um, you, you saw that quote. I don't know if you saw the quote, but he said something along the lines of like, you know, we half of our offensive playbook was out the window as soon as we saw how their defense lined up. It's like, well, dude. Like, even if that's true, you don't admit that in the press conference. Like, I I don't know. Uh, and, and if you I, do I, admit it, don't don't admit it that way. Like it, I'm okay with owning your mistakes. And, yeah. and if, and if, you know, but there's, there's the normal coach speak where you say, you know, Hey, we got out coached, we got out schemed, whatever it is. You could say, Hey, you know what? Uh, this is one of the, one of the challenges of facing a, a new head coach. You don't have a lot of film on this team. Right. So we got exposed. And so like, I think there's ways that you can say what he said without it sounding like you just don't know what the heck you're doing. Yeah, and that uh, and, is that is not what he conveyed at all. And that is not what he conveyed at all. Like I think I knew what he thought he was saying, and it wasn't that. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean the the comparison is like Urban. That same thing happened to Urban Meyer against Virginia Tech. Like he basically yeah. came out and was like, "Look, we had a freshman quarterback that rolled out a defensive front that we were not prepared for at all, and we didn't handle it well." Yep. Like you know, and it it you know it, it wasn't an excuse. It was a you know this is what happened. But right, I think I think also there's the like. Urban Meyer earned the benefit of the doubt and uh, Scott Frost, Scott Frost has not. So would not, not when, you know, you are statistically one of the worst head coaches in Nebraska history at this point, you know, and, and the challenge, I mean, you, you said it well, so, so Tom Osborne isn't walking back in the building uh, and, and who else is there out there? I, that's a, that's a real challenge. And I think, you know, on a serious note, because um, this episode isn't going to just all be Shadenfreude at uh, 
big 10 programs and, and how bad they are. But, but the challenge I think that becomes in the NIL era, uh, recruiting matters now more than ever, you know, it becomes more and more apparent that the haves in the talent department in college football are, are far surpassing the have nots. How do you get kids to come to Lincoln, Nebraska? And I, I love Lincoln. Lincoln's a great town. I'm a farm kid. I highly respect the university of Nebraska. It's a great ag school and so on. I want to give all the credit in the world to the university it, itself, but I, I don't know how you get four and five star kids from the coasts or from Florida, from, you know, wherever heck kids from, uh, you know, the Midwest, even that, that are super talented to go to Nebraska right now. I mean, the history of that program is at this point, ancient history. None of the kids alive playing today. Remember a time when Nebraska was good at football. Yeah. And I, I think like you, the problem is like, you have to like make the most out of those when you, when you do do that. And they had that weird, like in the 2017 class, I think it was 2017, 2018, they had that weird, like, I think it was Calabrasca and they had like four or five, like good kids from California come over mm-hmm. to Nebraska. Um, and then like guys, like, uh, I don't remember who, who all they were, but the, the one was that Ohio state lost to Nebraska was Tyjon Lindsay. I don't think oh. any of those guys are like starting or contributing at all. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I think that it's, that's one of those things where you just have to like, you, you have to hit it when you get those guys to, to Nebraska, because it's not going to happen often. Yep. Yep. A- absolutely. Uh, I don't know where they go from here. It feels like they have to go somewhere. Scott Frost probably gets a longer leash as a hometown hero type coach. I mean, similar story we'd be talking about with Jim Harbaugh, obviously he's gotten a longer leash than I think most of us think he should get and, and certainly longer than he would have gotten if he wasn't, uh, you know, local hero type head coach, former player story. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I don't think things, I don't think it bodes well for Nebraska uh, making any noise in the big 10 West though, this season after seeing how they looked against Illinois. Uh, Let's, let's move on to the game of the week. That is Ohio State University taking on the University of Minnesota in the Twin Cities, TCF Bank Stadium, kickoff 8 o'clock Thursday night, Eastern Daylight Time. All right, the, the, the real college football will, will get started. How excited are you, scale of 1 to 10, for, for this football game? Is, is starting with a conference opponent on the road your idea of a good time? Yeah, I think it's more fun. You know, it's, it's certainly a lot more fun than, like, Bowling Green, so I, I, uh, I don't know. At least we have that. I, I don't think. I don't know. I mean, Vegas is predicting a, a two-score game. It's a, the lines at like fourteen. So, um, I, I, I think it's a lot more fun that way. Um, and you know, you, you especially with so much new, a new defense, a new quarterback, like you get to see against a, an opponent with a pulse what's going to happen pretty immediately. So. Um, I, I don't know. It's more fun. I, I'm not sure it's ideal from like a, a coaching standpoint. I'm not sure that's necessarily what Ryan Day wants to do, but maybe it is because I think the the talent gap between uh, Minnesota and Ohio State is like hypothetically what the talent gap used to be between Ohio State and like a Mac school. So um, maybe that's arrogant to say, but I think that's like kind of the reality um, if you look at the roster makeup. So um I think I think that's one of those things where like it almost isn't even worth playing a team like Miami, Ohio, or like 
you know, teams like that anymore. Cause uh, you, you see the scores. I think the last time Ohio state played Miami, it was like 72 to three or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so I don't know. I, I think from like a practicality standpoint, it, playing a middling big 10 team is much more helpful for, a, for an opener than um, the alternative, I guess. One of the things I'm really interested to see, cause I'm thinking about this and you and I talked about this, uh, I believe last week, you know, the relative youth on Ohio state's team and the, the number of exceptionally talented people in the, in the, you know, in, incoming freshman, Richard freshman, sophomore, Richard sophomore classes, you know, they're an extreme amount of talent on the young end of the scale Ohio state, uh, as it is, is want to do. Uh, loses a lot of its elder statesmen to the NFL uh, year after year after year. Minnesota, on the other hand, uh, has quite a lot of experience coming into this season. Uh, of course, um, starting quarterback, starting running back, their top wideout, their top tight end, all redshirt seniors, the entire starting offensive line, except maybe one is a redshirt senior. Uh, that, that, that one exception is a true senior. Um, so a lot of starters returning on, on Minnesota. So is this a when we're talking about the talent disparity, is this a situation where, okay, maybe Minnesota has an edge because of experience on their home and, and by edge, I mean, you know, you're just, you're matching them say, okay, Ohio state has the clear talent advantage. Uh, can, can age and experience make up that gap at all on, you know, a Friday night under the lights in a home stadium? Yeah, I, I think it can. And I think that's why the line's so narrow, honestly, I, I, I think, and you, you saw at, that at, when- at 14 and a half. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still, it's not what you would expect of Ohio state playing like a a middling big 10 team, you know, on the road. Um, I I would have like in a vacuum, like at the end of the season, I would have made this, I'd expect this line to be more like 20 or something like that. But, you know, I, I think this is kind of one of those, like, like if you put Justin Fields is Ohio state's quarterback and um, I don't know, put Ohio state's linebacking core from last year out there, like, this line's 20, 25, you know, I, 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 I think that's the reality. Um, so I think there's just a, an element of, you know, unknown and youth versus experience and, and um, really knowing what you're getting. And I think there's like truth to that, because if you look at what happened against Northwestern against a, a very, um, you know, a very, a very, uh, a very talented Northwestern team, but really it was, it was mostly their experience and their, the veteran linebackers and stuff like that, like that team hung in there. And that's the reason why they were able to, to make it a close game or closer than it should have been is because of that experience. So I think there's, there's definitely validity to that. Um, I think that I will always pick talent to overcome that at the end of the day, but um, it, it could end up being a little closer than expected. Yeah, I mean the 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 saying, of course, being it's not the X's and O's, it's the Jimmys and Joes, and and I think you've made a pretty compelling argument that the the, the talent gap is certainly strong enough. Uh, yeah, it, this is a, this is a weird one for me, just because you, you know you want you want to make sure that, and and maybe because they're young, maybe because they're young, they won't come into Minneapolis feeling, you know, like the cock of the walk and, and be overconfident. And it's, it, you can't really call the first game of the season, a trap game. Um, right. But, but this is one of those kind of games. That's like, it's weird I, I, because my, my head tells me all of the things that you have just said, that this should be, uh, you know, a good old fashioned thrashing uh, and Ohio state, you know, starts off earning the, the, the preseason hype and expectations and so on. 
but then again, I'm like, you know, okay, they're very young. Do they believe their own press releases? Are they, and so maybe it is, maybe that youth and inexperience will, will keep them from getting the big head and, and staying grounded to go in and run a solid football game. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's kind of what I'm expecting too. I think most of these guys, and I think, I think they, the, the side of the ball that's going to be tested the most is the defensive side of the ball. And as like Zach Harrison has been saying, they've been hearing this entire off season about how terrible they are. So if there's any side of the ball, that's going to come in like ready to play and ready to prove something, it's going to be the defense. So, um, you know, I, I think that's going to be the, the fun part to watch because that's really, you know, strength of, of, uh, the Gophers on weakness of the Buckeyes. Yeah. And I think we'll talk about that extensively with Dan hope when he joins us here in the second half of the program, but, but that's, I mean, you and I, I think are pretty much in agreement that we're not super worried about Ohio state's offensive capabilities. Uh, lots of questions about whether or not they have a championship caliber defense. What do you, what are you going to be looking for Thursday night to determine the answer to that, that latter question? What are some of the things you're going to be watching keying in on to determine has this defense got what it takes to go the distance so i think like weirdly i'm not quite as concerned about the secondary as i am the linebackers um you know i i think that the secondary as bad as it was last year there were like reasons for it being bad and and part of it was that they just had no depth they had no um you know their, their best player was sean wade who was playing way out of position and like frankly was not um you know, I, at the at the level that he was playing, he, he should not have really even been on the field. Um, you know, so I I think that I think that this year you're going to have Seven Banks who has a full year of you know playing on playing in the fire, playing out there uh, last season, and then you've got Cameron Brown back, and you've got a bunch of young guys coming in, and some some other guys behind them uh, like Legend Cavazos, like um, guys like that that are have a little more experience um i i just for whatever reason i just trust that players get better and the fact that ohio state's going to be rolling out seven banks and cameron brown out there uh you know marcus williamson's coming back like i i just trust kind of that that um those returning players i i for whatever reason i i know that a lot of people get really excited present company included about like those five stars and stuff like that but like at the end of the day, I, I think that players that have been in the program for a couple of years are really valuable. So that's why I'm, I'm more concerned about um, replacing three linebackers. So I, I, I think that that was kind of the strength of the team last year were those, those four linebackers that Ohio State rolled with. And now you're putting three, four other guys in that rotation and just we're going to see them in real action for really the first time ever. I think that's a great segue to welcome in our special guest for this week's edition of the Dubcast, uh, host of his own podcast, The Real Pond Wednesdays. I am, of course, referring to King of the Beat, Dan Hope, uh, who joins us uh, via the, the hotline. Dan, thanks for coming on the Dubcast this week. And and I, first of all, want to encourage folks, if there's one person on the Buckeye football beat on Twitter that you need to follow. It is, it is Dan hope because uh, Dan, Dan finds things and knows things and knows people who know things. I learned something every day from Dan's Twitter feed. I would encourage you to follow if you aren't doing so already, but Dan, as we preview Thursday night's matchup 
with the Gophers. You were talking about the the defense here, and and Kevin uh, has made the case that he's not necessarily sweating the secondary, uh, which I, I am, but asking questions about the linebacking core. You you've been able to see this team in practice throughout camp. What, what's your what's your thumb on the pulse of what we should expect from the defense in general, but the backfield in specific? Well, first of all, Andy, you're too kind, but thank you for the generous introduction. I appreciate it. Uh, regarding your question uh, on the defense, and I, I agree with Kevin. I think in terms of this game specifically, I think the linebackers are probably the position to be most concerned about with this Ohio State defense because you look at this Minnesota offense, They've got one of the best running backs in the country in Muhammad Ibrahim, and they've got a massive offensive line up front. And so I, I think that, you know, the, the defensive line, I, I think there's reason to be confident in their ability to, to hold up uh, against that front, you know, but there's going to be plays in this game, certainly in the running game, where you've got a runner breaking into the second level. And that's where these linebackers – really none of whom have played significant snaps at the collegiate level because, you know, Pali and Ateote is probably not going to be able to play in this game. And so really none of the guys who are going to be out there have really played more than, you know, very limited action at the college level. And, and they're going to get thrown in right into the fire here against a, a running back uh, that's really good and an offensive line that's uh, really big and really experienced. And so I, I do think, you know, that's going to really be the key for this game. You know, I think as I, you know, you look forward to some games later in the year, you know, I, I worry definitely about how good is the secondary going to be. But I think in this game, it really might be those, those linebackers. You know, Taraja Mitchell is a guy that everybody seems to have a lot of confidence in. But, you know, guys like Cody Simon, Tommy Eichenberg, Dallas Gantt, we don't really know exactly who else is going to be out there at linebacker on Thursday night, but whoever it is, it's got to be ready for a test in this one. You you mentioned Neote there. The, you know, Ohio State's been excited to try to get him in for obvious reasons. And I, and I want to come back to the, the bigger question about the defense. But, but you were writing this week about the fact that basically nothing's happened, at least publicly here, about getting him uh, cleared and ready to go. What the heck's going on there? And and what should my expectation be before, <laughs> before this season's out about whether or not this uh, cat – is is eligible to play and and makes it on the field yeah well, the reality is i mean as we've seen before with the ncaa you just never know how these things are going to play out sometimes the ncaa is quick with these things sometimes they take months and months to to make a decision so certainly i think you know ryan day and, and everybody at ohio state is disappointed that they haven't gotten a decision yet because it really just leaves him and it leaves ohio state in a state of flux of okay until they get a decision like he can keep practicing with the team, but he can't play and unless the NCAA grants him a waiver to be eligible. And so, you know, they really don't know how that's going to play out at this point. And it, it's hard to say without knowing all the details of this situation. You know, I think I think the one thing that, you know, should be clarified here is I think I think a lot of people are, are confused in the sense that they think it's related to when he entered the transfer portal or when he transferred, that's not the situation here. This isn't a matter of, uh, you know, semantics or a matter of a deadline in terms of that one-time transfer rule. This is a separate 
eligibility situation. I don't know all the details of it, so don't necessarily want to speculate on that. But, you know, this is a situation where, you know, he needs to become eligible to play, period. Like, it's not even necessarily a matter of, you know, he'd have to sit out this year, but he'd for sure be eligible in January. Like, it's a matter of whether he'll be eligible at all. So that's why he's not on scholarship yet. That's why when Ryan Day was asked about it on Monday, he didn't, you know, he was asked, you know, what would happen if Nayo Teote wasn't eligible this fall. And he, he said he really didn't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's possible that if Nayo Teote isn't eligible to play this year, he might never play at Ohio State. We really don't know in that circumstance. But, you know, certainly I would hope that for everybody's sake here, that you know, the NCAA makes a decision on this very quickly because to leave him in a state of flux, a state of not knowing whether he's going to be able to play this fall, yeah, I don't think that's fair to him. And certainly for Ohio State, it it puts them in a challenging spot of, okay, you want to try to plan for potentially having this guy in your defense this year, but you can't do that because you just don't know if you're going to have him. Yeah, it wouldn't be the first time the NCAA uh... – waited dragged their feet and gave somebody a answer at the last minute either so uh not really holding my breath that we'll we'll see much of anything on that i look back at cj saunders basically getting denied at the the 12th hour and not even having a chance to like try out for an nfl team or anything like that and basically being forced into being a uh an assistant and in quotes air quotes an assistant for ohio state so i don't know i'm, I'm not really optimistic that what the ncaa is going to hurry for uh just no. the sake of helping out a player. No, pro- probably not. You know, I, I think, you know, the NCAA kind of does things the way it does things. And, you know, Ryan Day did say on Monday that the NCAA had asked for some more information. So I'm not sure, you know, is that related to, you know, timelines of things, maybe, you know, academic or whatnot. I'm not exactly sure what they needed in terms of more information, but it, it sounded based on the way Ryan Day said Monday, you know, I know a couple of weeks ago when he was asked, he, he had been more optimistic that an answer was going to come very soon. The way he said it on Monday, it sounded like he wasn't uh, particularly optimistic about an answer coming, you know, this week imminently, though he did say he was still optimistic that ultimately Polly and Iteote would get that waiver. And it's, it's a good reminder, I guess. I think a lot of us have, have sort of maybe mentally turned the page that, hey, we, you know, we're, we're, in an era of de facto free agency, the, you know, the transfer rules are far more liberal than they were even just a few years ago that uh, there's a lot more player mobility, uh, the portal change things and so on. And this is a good reminder. The NCAA still operates to the, the, the tune of its own little drummer, uh, good, bad, or otherwise they're going to do their own thing. And chances are they'll probably muck it up in the process. All right, let's get back to the defense as it is, instead of, as we, Wish it will be, you know, I was reading um, this week's round table with Chris, Matt and Ramsey, and the question was posed and I want to pose it to you, Dan, uh, although it's hard for us to, you know, picture a scenario in which this offense struggles, we, we, we feel pretty confident, uh, Kevin and I, that the offense is going to be good. But last year, the past defense was, well, to put it mildly, a problem ranking just uh, 122nd in yards allowed through the air per game, uh, that's not great. So will the defense stink this year, or or do you anticipate improvement on that side of the ball? And we were talking about the rushing defense a moment ago, specific to Minnesota, but overall this season through the air, do you expect to see Ohio State's defenders take a step? 
Well, I'm not going to predict that the defense is going to stink, but you know, I, I think it's going to be better. How much better is my question because there's just not really any proven commodities in that back seven right now. So that makes it hard to be super confident about what the defense is going to be because yeah, there's a lot of guys who have talent, but you know, there's not, there's not anybody in that back seven right now that I can go and say, I'm really confident this guy is going to be a superstar player. Like I think, you know, you look at a guy like seven banks, a guy like Josh Proctor, you think they've got the talent. They've got some experience. Now they have the potential to be elite players, all big 10 players, but they have to take a step from where they were last year. And then, you know, basically everybody else, it's kind of, we've heard a lot of good things about them, but now we have to see them, you know, whether that's Cam Brown or Lathan Ransom or Ryan Watts or Denzel Burke or Cam Martinez, or, you know, you go to those, those bullets, you know, Ronnie Hickman and Craig Young and Court Williams. There's a lot of guys back there that we've heard a lot of good things about. There are guys who were all highly touted recruits out of high school, but we know have a lot of physical ability, but now they have to go do it in actual games. And so until I see that in an actual game, it's hard for me to be super confident in this defense. I do think they're going to be better. And I think, you know, a reason why I think they're going to be better is because I think the fact that they've had a full off season together, Kerry Combs has been able to actually do the things he wants to do schematically. They've had the opportunity to build depth back there in a way they couldn't last year. And so I, I do think they're going to be better. How much better is the question. And, and I guess the follow-up question is how much better do they have to be for this team to have a chance to win a national championship? Because they got to the national championship game with a really lousy pass defense last year. I don't, I don't think they can win a national championship with a lousy pass defense, but I think if, you know, if they can be average, maybe you've got a chance if the offense is what we think it could be. And so I'd, I'd be surprised if this was like 2019 where the defense was ranked number one in the country. I, I, I don't think that's realistic, but you know, I think if this defense can get to the middle of the pack, I, I think Ohio state has a chance. I, we just have to see if that happens. And the thing that and, fascinates me too, about that, Dan is you know, really that defense was, was, was only uh, bad enough to lose to one team. Right. You know, so, I mean, we, we all saw what happened in the Clemson game, right? And that was against a pretty darn good quarterback. So, I, I mean, I'm just fascinated because on the one hand, I watched all season long and I'm like, man, this defense is killing me. And <laughs> at the same time, when you look back with the benefit or benefit of perspective and say, well, geez, you know, Alabama was the only team that really took it to them. And I mean, really when it, in a way that mattered. So maybe, maybe the question that I'll throw at you is, is this offense going to be good enough to make up for uh, a non-championship caliber defense if, in fact, they don't make that much of an improvement year over year? I think it could be. I mean, I think you look at the pieces they have in this offense. I mean, I think the receiving core should be the best in the country. I mean, they're absolutely loaded at wide receiver. They've got a great tight end, too, and Jeremy Rucker. They, the offensive line has all the potential to be an elite unit. You know, you got to see, okay, does Harry Miller take the next step at center? Does Dewan Jones live up to his potential at right tackle after they've, you know, made this decision to, you know, shift Nicholas Petit Frere to left tackle, Thayer Munford to left guard. But if all the pieces come together, 
They could have an elite offensive line. They could have elite wide receivers, elite tight end. Then it just really becomes, okay, do the guys in the backfield live up to expectations here? You know, if, if CJ Stroud's the guy that most people think he can be, I think they should have an elite passing offense. You know, I, I'm not saying I think CJ Stroud is going to be Justin Fields because Justin Fields was spectacular, but if he can be close to that with all the talent that he's got around him, and then, you know, also the running backs, you've got a lot of guys there, you know, can Mayan Williams, you know, be a feature back. Can Travion Henderson make a big impact as a freshman? Can Master Teague take that next step this year? If some combination of those guys can give you a really solid running game and then C.J. Stroud can be consistent in the passing game, then this offense has the potential to be as good as any offense in the country. And then if that's the case, then just having a solid defense could be enough to give you a chance to, to win a national title. Yeah. I, I, I think uh, what, what you're saying is totally valid. Um, I, I think that even you look around at Clemson or Alabama or Oklahoma, like none of these teams have typically had incredible defenses, but I think, and you can, you can chime in on this after you hear my take. I think one of the underrated things that I'm looking at, and one of the things that we kind of gloss over last year is that, yeah, Ohio State's secondary was atrocious last year, but also the pass rush was not what it is typically at Ohio State. You never had really like that superstar player like Chase Young uh, off the edge. Um, you know, it, it just wasn't as dangerous. Do you think it's more likely that the defense improves simply because it has a pass rush or a stronger pass rush this year than in the past, more so than the secondary players, you know, taking that big leap because it, it sure makes it easier to defend downfield when the quarterback only has like two seconds. Yeah. I mean, I would say that I'm more confident in the pass rush than I am of a secondary because, you know, I think, I think Zach Harrison, you know, you, you were hearing all the right things. I think with his potential, I think he is going to take that next step this year. You've also got, you know, Tyreek Smith and Javante Jean Baptiste back who are a couple more experienced guys. And then you've got, you know, two guys who I think can make an immediate impact in Jack Sawyer and JT Tuomolowal, especially as the season progresses. I think those are guys whose roles could get bigger and bigger. And so I am optimistic that the pass rush is going to, you know, be back closer to its normal level this year. I mean, again, I, I don't know if you're going to have Chase Young. I don't know if you're going to have a Joey Bosa this year. Yeah, I think there's guys who have the potential to, to be that down the line, but you know, I don't know. I don't know if you're necessarily going to have that guy this year, but I think the combination of guys they have there on the edges and then, you know, inside too, of guys like Haskell Garrett and Teron Vincent, I, I think the pieces are there for Ohio state to get back to having a, a really, really good defensive line this year. And, and certainly, you know, I do agree with you, but I think, you know, that's a big part of improving on, on pass defense because last year they really, they really needed more help from the pass rush than they got. You got to talk about this quarterback. So CJ Stroud is the man with the plan. You know, you said a moment ago that he's, he's not Justin Fields fields. Uh, one of the best to ever do it at, at Ohio state without question. It is certainly uh, one of the most gifted athletes I've ever had the pleasure of watching play the sport. So who is the comparison? Cause Ohio state's had some very different quarterbacks over the past 20 years. 
who's who's the comparison you're most comfortable with uh, after watching CJ Stroud with the ball in his hands here throughout camp and preseason practices? Yeah, I think he's sort of somewhere between Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields in terms of the fact that you know I, I think he can do some similar things to to Justin Fields in, in terms of you know I, I think he's got enough mobility, enough athleticism that he can extend plays outside the pocket when needed. He can take off and take advantage if there's open field in front of him. But, you know, from talking to everybody in preseason camp, there is a definite vibe of they're not going to do that as much with CJ as they did with with Justin. It's going to be part of the offense, but CJ is more of a, a pocket passer. So I think, you know, we're not going to see CJ run the ball as much. I think we are going to see CJ stay in the pocket a little bit more than Justin Fields did, but I think he does have that athleticism where he can do damage with his legs, where he can extend plays with his legs in a way that Dwayne Haskins couldn't, because obviously that, you know, that was the weakness for Dwayne is that he, he, he just, you know, did not have a lot of speed, was not a guy uh, that did a ton with his legs, and they they didn't really have that quarterback running element with him in the offense. I think CJ is capable of that, but I don't think it's going to be a major part of this offense. I don't think I don't think there's going to be a lot of plays called where you know CJ running the ball or having the option to run the ball is going to be. Uh, a primary part of that play. I think it's going to be more, you know, if they need him to take off, he can, but I think it's, it's going to be more of a, you know, passing the ball from the pocket and hoping that, you know, the running backs can open things up more than him having to run it himself. And, and is it fair to say that's a strength of, of Ryan day, you know, thinking about the difference on the offense from, Dwayne Haskins to Justin Fields, Urban Meyer was going to make the quarterback fit his system. Uh, come hell or high water, you know, just give the ball to Hyde. Damn it! Um, sorry, I still have flashbacks about that. But whereas Ryan Day, you know, seems to be the guy who makes the offense fit the guy he's got pulling the trigger. Is that is that an accurate read? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's 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 hard to fully say that yet, just because the sample size is still relatively small in terms of, you know, Ryan day, you know, he's been at Ohio state four years, but he's only been the, the head coach, the guy with full control over the offense here for two years with Justin Fields. And so I think we did see, you know, adaptation, you know, from Dwayne Haskins to Justin Fields, certainly, but there was still that, you know, urban Meyer influence when, when it was Dwayne there. So now I think, you know, we really see, okay, here, here is a guy who's more of a pocket passer than Justin Fields. Now we're going to really see how Ryan Day, you know, builds the offense uh, around him. And I do think that he's going to be able to adapt. I think, again, all that talent they have at receiver makes it a lot easier to adapt. It'll be interesting, though, you know, to see what it looks like in these first couple games of where will we see things and go, hey, that looks like, what they were doing of Justin Fields, or will we say, oh, this, this looks a little bit different. This isn't quite what we were used to seeing from the past couple of years. So we talking about the back, the rest of the backfield, 
Um, I think the, the one of the most probably the most fascinating thing to me about this offense is who is going to be carrying the ball. Um, so I, I want to ask your prediction. Who is going to get the bulk of the carries in day one? And who is going to be Ohio State's starting running back at the end of the season? Is it going to be the same person? I'm going to say Mayan Williams is going to be the guy that gets the most carries against Minnesota. You know, I mean, I, Master Teague might be the guy that gets the first carry just based on him being a senior. I'm not sure how they're going to do that, but I'm going to say Mayan Williams is the guy that's going to get the most carries in week one. And I think, you know, the big question everybody has is will, you know, Travion Henderson eventually get to that point by the end of a year where he's the guy taking the most carries. And that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, right now, I'm going to say Mayan Williams is going to be Ohio State's leading rusher this year. I'm going to say he's going to be the guy that gets the most carries this year. But I do think Travion Henderson's role is going to increase as the season progresses. And if we get to the point where he is the guy that's getting the most carries by the end of the season, that wouldn't surprise me. It is uh, time for Ask Us Anything. And Dan, if we can prevail uh, upon you to stick with us for Ask Us Anything, there are a couple questions in the mailbag that I, I think you are well suited to answer. Uh, can, can, can we prevail on you to stick it out for the next segment? Sure thing. All right, my guy. I love it. All right. So uh, Ask Us Anything, one of my favorite parts of the show and a good time to remind you that the 11 Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Hats, t-shirts, stickers, for the discerning lady or gentleman, go to drygoods.11warriors.com. You will be better dressed uh, and, and check out some of the other fun stuff. I got a, a load of 11 Warriors stickers on my laptop and they never fail to draw a comment. Go and visit it early and often. Start your holiday shopping even. All right. First question. Uh, this is from our friend and longtime contributor to this segment, Alvin, who asks, is football back or was this past weekend just an unsatisfying appetizer? Now, Dan, I have to tell you, Kevin and I uh, spent an extended period of time talking about the abomination that was Nebraska versus Illinois. So I want you to feel this one. Is football back or was this past weekend just an unsatisfying appetizer? I feel like football comes back this week. Like, I feel like, yeah, I feel like la this past weekend was just like the first course. Like, yeah, it was fun to watch Nebraska, Illinois, but like, after like I watched that game and then after that, I'm like, all right, that's enough college football for today. We'll, we'll watch more next week. So I feel like this weekend, you know, starting with Ohio state, Minnesota on Thursday, and then, you know, some big games on Saturday, especially that Clemson, Georgia game. I feel like this weekend is when it's like, okay, it's, it's really football season again. Next two questions. Um, we'll, we'll ask uh, both Kevin and Dan. This um, has to do both in both cases with players. So the first question, this one comes from Jason who writes, who's the Buckeye player that you felt was so good and wish they could have played longer because they weren't utilized as much as they should have. So in other words, those are the two characteristics, same player, one that you thought was really good and, and maybe was underutilized one that you wish could have played longer because they weren't used as much as they should have. Uh, and Jason gives the example of Dane Sansenbacher. He said he felt that, uh, uh, prior prior uh, could have used him more because he always seemed to come down with the ball. You just threw it up and Dane would catch it. Uh, wish, wish they'd thrown the ball to him more. Dan, do you have, you have a, a Buckeye player of uh, years past that, that you think fit that category? Man, I'm thinking, Kevin, do you have one who jumps to mind immediately? I have two. Um, the first, the first is so good. I might not even have to list my second one, Michael Thomas. I mean, like, 
you look at what he did in the NFL, like a serious, like the next year, like immediately was like, uh, I think he broke the, the like a rookie receiving record. He's basically Hall of Fame bound if he keeps up anywhere close to this pace. Um, I know he had injury problems last year, but that's besides the point. The point is that he was like third team All Big Ten at Ohio State, and uh, you know he decidedly is better than that at the NFL. So I would have loved to see him do something. Uh, like I, I, I think that kind of fits the uh, the underutilized mold. The other guy, I'm not sure he was underutilized, but I would have loved to see Curtis Samuel another time. I would have loved to see him come back another year. I think that's a guy that I think he was legit, like leaning, like could have come back too for another season. And I think that's the sort of guy that like could have gotten like Heisman Trophy consideration um, just because of how versatile and fun he was. So those are my two. Did you think of anybody? I did. Yeah, I, I got a couple. Uh, you know, one, again, I'm not sure it's underutilized, but just a guy I wish we could have seen more of because we really didn't see that much of was Nick Bosa because yeah. he was a backup for his first two years. And, you know, he was, he was really good playing in a rotational role, but you know, those first couple games of uh, his final season, he was unreal. And then, you know, they, they lost him and it robbed us of that opportunity to get to watch him and chase young alongside each other uh, for a full year. And I, I, you always think back of like what that could have been, you know, that that's a guy that like when he went down that year, I was like, man, like this sucked and we're not going to get to see this because it felt like he was on his way to a historic season. And then, you know, the other guy, and I want to, I want to preface this by I'm not trying to say that Ohio state made the wrong decision or anything. I'm, I'm just saying, <laughs> I wish we could have seen this guy play a real season for Ohio state. And that's Joe Burrow. Like, mm-hmm you see what he did at LSU. Like it's fun to think about, like if he had gotten that opportunity to play a season or a state, like let's say he had stuck around for one more year, you know, again, maybe that means you don't get Justin Fields. There's all the what ifs, but let's just say he had stuck around for one more year. And instead of playing for LSU that year, he was playing for Ohio state. Like it's fun to think about what he could have been for Ohio state that, you know, we only got to see once he left Ohio state. No, Marvel Man, has an I, entire I, series of uh, comics, or now a series on Disney Plus called "What If," and I feel like that's the that is the perfect example of uh, of a great "What If." Dan, I thought you were going to go with Tate Martell. <laughs> that 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 would be that would have been fun to see the once in yeah. future Hopefully prince we right get to there. See him play for UNLV this year. Yeah, things uh, things that might have been or might not have been. <laughs> on how you want to look at it i love that game too of of going back and thinking what a given player would have looked like in a different scheme you know talking about the mention was made of terrell Pryor earlier uh thinking about terrell Pryor in our urban meyer offense thinking thinking about uh you know terrell Pryor in a ryan day offense as far as because you know it's just really interesting to think about some of those obscenely talented players that ohio state's rolled through just in the past 21 22 years now uh and in our last question to ask us anything this one comes from steven who writes which non-buckeye are you most looking forward to watching this year uh kevin we'll start with you who's the who's the non-buckeye footballer you are looking forward to watching the most this year now that college football has returned huh that's that's a tough one um i think i think one of the guys i don't know if i'm necessarily looking forward i i want to see how spencer rattler does because i think like he's kind of come in as like the de facto like 
hyped up player, like the number one player in the country. And like, I don't think that he's bad. I don't, I think that like, that's probably earned. He's, you know, he's probably for sure. Uh, one of the most elite quarterbacks or the elite quarterbacks in the country. But like, I think that he's kind of just like given that title by default as of now, I don't think that he was necessarily, um, I think, he, I don't think he was necessarily like earned that last year. I think he struggled at times last year. He flashed, you know, greatness a little bit, but I want to see if he can go out and like kind of, cement himself is one of the top players in the country. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, he has that talent. He has that hype and he came in and he, you know, he was playing as a, is a really young guy at Oklahoma. And um, I, I think that just in a world where, you know, Alabama Clemson and Ohio state all have brand new quarterbacks. He's just the, the returning starter. He's like the returning face of college football. So um, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how he kind of handles that and whether or not he can kind of live up to that. Cause he's the Heisman favorite. And um, I, I don't know if I would necessarily uh, think that he should be, I guess. Yeah. I'll go for a guy that we'll be seeing at Ohio stadium in just a couple weeks from now. Kayvon Thibodeau is a guy who uh, a lot of people think could potentially be, you know, a top pick in next year's NFL draft, probably the best, uh, defensive end in the country. I'm I'm intrigued to see, you know, can he become that? Can he, you know, can he become that next Chase Young kind of player? Because I feel like last year in college football, they really didn't have that. There really wasn't that, like, elite dominant pass rusher. He's the guy that a lot of people think can be that this year. Uh, I'll be intrigued to see, especially when he plays against Ohio State, that I think that battle watching him go against uh, Nicholas Petit-Frere and Dewan Jones is going to be a lot of fun to watch. All right. Great answers, gentlemen, and a great trio of questions from the listening audience this week. If you want to submit your question to ask us anything, you can do that via email dubcast at 11warriors.com, dubcast at 11warriors.com, or you can always hit us up on Twitter. Follow us there if you're not doing so already. And uh, special thanks to Dan Hope, who has been an exceptional guest in this episode of the dubcast and encourage you, if you aren't already listening to his podcast, Real Pod Wednesdays, it drops tomorrow. Do not miss it. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, follow Dan on Twitter. Dan, thanks for joining us. Sure thing. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, that was great. I uh, always appreciate Dan's insight. Uh, just a, a wealth of information and depth of knowledge about what's happening. Uh, in fact, the entire B team is just really exceptional. All right, let's wrap this thing up um, with quick cows. And, and this week, uh, we're going to go through a trio of stories about the National Football League and former Buckeyes in it. First off, Justin Fields had a spectacular uh, outing in the Chicago Bears final preseason game. Kevin, is um, uh, Fields lived up to the hype in your mind? Is, is he the man with the plan? How much uh, stock are you buying in Justin Fields as the Ohio State quarterback who finally gets it done in the league? Oh, yeah, I, I think I'm, I don't think I would need much convincing. You know, I, I was pretty sure that he was going to be um, every bit what he has looked. I think I had I don't know. I, I, I had a little more hesitation with Dwayne Haskins when he got to the league. I thought that he had a super arm, super strong arm talent, but um, I think there's, especially in the modern NFL, there's a lot more that goes into it. And I think Justin Fields, especially with his legs, I mean, dude's built like a running back. I think that he's just really built for the future of the NFL. So I, I was not shocked at all to see um, how he's just kind of immediately stepped in. I, I loved after his first game, Somebody asked like the speed of the NFL and he was like, I don't know. It seemed kind of slow to me. So 
Uh, I, I don't know. I love the confidence. I, I think he's done a great job and I think that he's more than lived up to uh, what, what he was like the, the third or fourth quarterback taken off the board. I, I, I think the bears are pretty happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you mentioned Haskins. I've been watching very closely to see if uh, Dwayne, makes it uh, for my Steelers and, and Mike Tomlin um, didn't mince words and his uh, appraisal of Haskins work in the Steelers final preseason game he said, uh, I didn't think it was enough varsity from him. It wasn't the type of performance he wanted or we wanted, but that's life. So I find that very, uh, very, very interesting. Um, I, I think Haskins makes the roster. He's, he, I mean, he's a cheap backup quarterback for him. Um, given his contract situation or lack thereof. So I, I feel like he's the guy that ends up staying given the Steelers salary cap issues. Um, but, you know, it, you would have liked to have seen Haskins have the kind of games that Fields did. I think Fields had a fantastic preseason and is, is set up for success there. So uh, time, time will tell. We'll see what happens. Uh, other NFL news and this of the uh, not so good variety uh, running back JK Dobbins uh, going to miss the entire 2021 NFL season with a torn ACL man the Dobbins seems like one of the the guys that you can just really root for super easily super likable guy fantastic at his his position and to go out in a freaking preseason game like that just that just killed me yeah I, I think and it sucked because he was emerging as like really the, the top running back in that class. One of the top running backs. In the yeah. He, he led all running backs with like six averaging like six yards per carry last year, all running backs, not just rookies. So I don't know. I, I think that it, it kind of sucks for him because he was on the verge of like what seemed like a breakout season because they were finally, he, he was the starting guy. He was the, the guy that they were going to ride with. So, um, you know, I, I don't think that that's really going to change going into next season, but it sucks that he has to, um, kind of put a pause button on that hype. Yeah. It's one of those things. I mean, you just, the, the, the league and, and particularly as it relates to running backs, you know, I mean, the, the time horizon is so short to lose a season like that to injury. Uh, but man, I hope, um, hope the healing is, is fast and, um, uh, complete i guess because i that's a guy even though he plays for a team that i do not root for that is a a guy i very much want to root for in the league and we'll uh close it out with this one uh former ohio state wide receiver devin smith reuniting with his former ball coach urban meyer in jacksonville jacksonville how you feeling about the jacksonville urban meyer experiment at uh at this stage in its infancy uh is is are we are we witnessing now this doesn't have anything to do with Devin Smith but are we witnessing like the beginning of the train wreck of Urban Meyer is this just sort of like um uh, your first stub toes you know we had the Tim Tebow debacle we had you know some some stories I can't remember if it was at, at the athletic or where I read it but that there are some uh veterans who were kind of grumbling about some of the college type stuff that Urban Meyer's brought to the program and how he manages practices and so on uh, are, are we just seeing confirmation bias for those of us who think urban's not an NFL coach or, or do you think he writes the ship and wins more than say two football games this season? You know, I'm really trying to give him the benefit of the doubt until we at least see a real football game or really multiple real football games. But like, I don't know, man, I, I think the part of it is like, 
he he definitely has like his ways and i i it was totally on brand that article that you're talking about was like yeah he just has this assistant that runs around with a with a boom mic and yells like stay hydrated stay juiced and i'm like ah yep i i know what you're talking about like it, it was totally on brand like good to see that they're not making anything up but like that thing like that sort of thing could work if you're winning or at least like have the team going <laughs> in the correct direction but like from what we've seen granted it's the preseason but like it's been just abysmal and like i i don't know i i think i was way more optimistic like before free agency and before the draft um because they had a they had a huge they had a ton of cap space they were getting the number one overall pick um and so i I was i was kind of high on on his chances before all of that but now after like seeing how kind of poorly he did in preseason and frankly how trevor lawrence has looked i mean trevor lawrence has looked fine but like how he's looked in in the season opener or in the in the preseason games that he's played i don't know i i I just i don't know how quickly he's going to be able to turn this ship around or if he's going to be able to turn this ship around and i i could just see people getting uh slow on short on patience pretty quick my thing is if i were a player on this roster and, and knowing how valuable every roster spot is to you know the individual players and and the guys that you know are are working trying to make a roster i I think that whole tim tebow situation would have really soured me on my on 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 a coach uh because it just felt like that was that was a wasted shot that there's somebody that could have helped that team that didn't get a shot you know because because we all knew it wasn't going to be tim tebow right yeah i I don't know a single person well i'm sure there were some people i don't i don't really know that many people who there were two um, people, Tim Tebow and Urban Meyer. Those were the yeah, only two people. I don't know. I'm not even convinced Tim Tebow got the, <laughs> the roster. I think, I think, I bet that conversation went like Urban Meyer approached him. He's like, you want to give it a shot? He's like, coach, I'm a, I'm a minor league, a retired minor league baseball player. And he's like, yeah, I don't know, doing? man. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I, I like to think that Tim Tebow has more self-awareness than Urban Meyer. Does, more self-awareness but. than Urban Meyer. Well, yeah, that could, that could very well be the case. All right. We're going to, we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, it is game week, my friends. Thursday night, eight o'clock Eastern Ohio state versus Minnesota. Yeah. Just soak in that warm pre football feeling. Of course, continue to watch 11 warriors.com. The coverage of the game will be extensive as always. And we'll look forward to talking about it this time next week on the 11 dubcast until then, along with my co-host, Kevin Harris. I'm Andy Vance, wishing you a great rest of your week. Thanks for joining us on the Dubcast.